take a moment and lift up the name of Jesus. Oh, what a beautiful name it is. Hallelujah. Oh, no other name compares to the name of Jesus. For there is power in his name. There is life in his name. There is salvation in his name. Hallelujah. Oh, there is no rival to Jesus. There is no one equal to Jesus. Hallelujah. He is greater than all. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Hallelujah. He is the champion of champions. Hallelujah. Oh, and he is worthy of our praise. Oh, hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. It is a wonderful thing to sing about the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. It's like no other word, no other name that you might utter. The name of Jesus. Things change mention of his name amen he's there in our midst amen the mention of his name i'm thankful that i can call on jesus i don't have to call on anybody else amen that's all i need is jesus amen amen you may be seated hallelujah thankful for the presence of the lord here tonight amen there's nothing like being in the house of god in the middle of the week and all the things that we deal with in the workplace or in the schools. It's nice to just be in the presence of the Lord with the people of God. Amen. Worshiping Him, giving Him praise. Amen. He is worthy. Amen. Tonight we're excited to get into the Word of the Lord. We're going to uh, be starting a new series here tonight. Uh, this series is called The Bread of Life. The Bread of Life. Tonight's lesson is called 38 years, 38 years. In fact, throughout our series that we'll, we're embarking on tonight, we are going to be covering the words and the wonders of Jesus as found in John chapters 5 and 6. John's, John chapters 5 and 6. I have a few uh, verses I'd like to read, but before we do that, why don't we go before the Lord and just ask for his touch on his word here tonight, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity, Lord, to, to teach your word tonight. I pray, God, that you would give us ears to hear, Lord, hearts to respond to your word. I pray, God, that your word would plant seeds of faith, Lord, in us, Lord Jesus, that we would know who you are, Lord Jesus, without a doubt. God, and that we would trust and lean on you and know that you're in control. We thank you for your word tonight, Lord, and speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Our, our verses of scripture tonight come from John chapter 5. I'm going to read uh, the first nine verses, and then we'll skip down to verse 36, and then we'll get right into our lesson here tonight. Beginning in John chapter 5, verse number 1, it says, After this... There was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem, by the sheep market, a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. 
In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the, into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. Verse 5, And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed and walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath. Skipping down to verse 36. This is the Lord speaking. But I have greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father hath given to finish, the same works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. The Father hath sent me. Tonight we're going to talk about the bread of life, and we're going to talk about 38 years. 38 years. We all know that Jesus was God in the flesh. He was God Almighty manifested in the flesh. The Bible tells us that he was manifested in the flesh. I'm thankful I know who Jesus is. Amen. That he wasn't just a man walking on this earth, but he was God Almighty incarnate in flesh. And it is for us to be a witness and a testimony of who Jesus is said he was. Amen. How many believe Jesus is who he said he was? Amen. I believe that. Amen. It was rather a big year that year. Hopefuls gathered in New York City's Times Square to signal the dawning of a new year as December 31st gave way to January 1st. Perhaps this year it would be the best year of their lives. It began as a year of promise. During the first month, NASA was scheduled to launch a shuttle carrying a teacher into space. Krista McAuliffe was going to be the first teacher into space. And she was trained, of course, as an astronaut so she could join the space shuttle crew on this voyage. She was scheduled to conduct some experiments and actually to teach a couple lessons to the world. From space. However, only 73 seconds after the launch, the Challenger broke up and we lost all seven astronauts, including Mrs. McAuliffe. There's a technology show that, I, uh, that my company frequences in New Hampshire, and it's named after Krista McAuliffe. It's called the Krista McAuliffe Technology Conference. Krista McAuliffe, of course, lost her life on that day. And 
During that time, many mourned the loss of the Challenger's crew. But yet it was another disaster that shook the world even three months later. One of the nuclear reactors at Chernobyl nuclear power plant exploded, claiming the lives of 31 people and contaminating the surrounding area. Thousands more later died as a result of the fallout and contamination. Although tourists visit Chernobyl, the surrounding areas remain very radioactive. In fact, even with protective gear, you're not to spend more than five minutes in that area because the radioactivity is so high. However, to keep the world's from their minds being on all, on all these tragedies, one of the things that happened in this year was the Phantom of the Opera opened to applause at Her Majesty's Theater in London in October of that same year. In fact, the Phantom ran 13,629 performances before its final curtain call in 2020. Those major newsmaking, life-changing world events seemed to happen a lifetime ago. Some of us were there when it happened. Remember all of these news stories. That was 38 years ago. 38 years ago was 1986. I know for myself, I was just completing my first year of college in 1986. 38 years from now will be 2062. 38 years can seem like a long time. You see, the world changes quite a bit in 38 years. In 1986, Ronald Reagan was the President of the United States. Gasoline, on average, was only 86 cents a gallon. And a new modestly sized home would cost you $92,000. And an annual median salary at that time was about $30,000. But for a fast-moving, jet-setting business person or growing family, 38 years can scream by in the blink of an eye. But for a person living with paralysis, relying on others for food and shelter, 38 years can stroll along at such a slow pace, almost like that of a turtle carrying a sloth. That's slow. That's a really slow pace. But if that's all you have, day in, day out, life just seems to crawl on by. And with no hope of tomorrow, for this man sitting there waiting and hoping that somebody would pick him up and put him in the pool. At this time, Jesus was not a household name. Sure, he had turned the water into wine, and people were starting to ask questions about who this Jesus was. How did he do that? How did he turn the water into wine? What else could this man do? Was he of God? I mean, this is not something that anybody naturally could do. Clearly, it was the supernatural. Within days, Jerusalem was bustling with travelers and tourists coming for the feast, as we read in John chapter 5, verse 1. When Jesus arrived, he led his followers past all the merchants peddling all of their overpriced goods. 
And yet, what, and he took them past that into one of the saddest sights in all of Jerusalem. Clearly, Jesus wasn't trying to be a tour guide, because if he was, he would have taken them to the temple and showed them how wonderful the temple was, or took him to uh, Antonio Fortress and let the, see the Roman soldiers marching. But no, he didn't take them to those places. He took them to the pool of Bethesda. You see, the pool of Bethesda was where all of the sick and ill and downtrodden and incapable of really rectifying their own situation lay, hoping for a miracle. In fact, I kind of picture this somewhat like an ancient Skid Row. How many here have ever heard of Skid Row? Well, growing up in the Los Angeles area, Skid Row is a well-known area for homeless and the downtrodden that live on the streets. In fact, it's been known as that place for, since the 1930s. In fact, there are estimated to be nine to 15,000 people live on the streets in this area called Skid Row. So I picture this much like the Skid Row of that day, right there in Jerusalem. And imagine Jesus takes his disciples to probably the most undesirable place to be in in town. In fact, the book of John records the sick, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed were all eking out their lives, laying at the pool of Bethesda. Interesting to point out, Bethesda means house of mercy. And maybe that's why the angel came and troubled the water. Everyone there wanted to be healed. They believed that all they had to do is wait for the waters of the pool to be troubled. As Jesus wound his way through the, sick, the sea of the sick and the paralyzed, he met a man who had been disabled for 38 years. Jesus knew exactly when this man had laid there and, and when he left there. And, but Jesus didn't waste any time in talking with him. He got right past the chit-chat and right, went right to the heart of the matter. He asked him this, Wilt thou be made whole? Wilt thou be made whole? Well, it's almost as if he was asking him the question, I guess you could say, Would you like to be healed? I think that's a pretty obvious answer to that question. Would you like to be healed? It's almost like asking an eagle, would you like to soar? Or a cheetah, would you like to run? If you ask a man who's been handicapped or crippled for 38 years, would you like to be healed? I think that's a no-brainer, right? What, what would be his answer? Of course I want to be healed. But he didn't answer Jesus that way. You see, his answer sounded more like an excuse. In fact, he said, sir, I have no man when the water is troubled, to put me into the pool. But while I'm coming, another steppeth down before me. I would be well already if somebody would just help me. In essence, that's what he was saying. You see, he was about to approach 40 years as a man laying at the pool of Bethesda without any capability of getting into that pool. 
In fact, he was probably on the verge of losing all hope that he would ever survive. In fact, in those days, the life expectancy, I know this probably comes as a shock, but the life expectancy in those days was 35. The average person only lived to be 35. This man had already exceeded the average lifespan, and yet his, his, his uh, outlook on life would be that he would probably die there at the pool of Bethesda and never actually receive his healing. Jesus commanded this man simply, rise up, rise and take up thy bed and walk. Immediately a man who had not walked for nearly 40 years stood, steadied himself, picked up his bed and walked. One simple command from Jesus erased a generation-long illness and gave a man a brand new beginning. I cannot imagine what that man must have felt like at that moment. Here he was laying there for 38 years. 38 years. That's like from 1986 till now. 38 years. Somebody carrying him there every day. And that's all the hope he had was that someday he would make it into the pool. As this man carried his bed away from the pool, we may be left with some more questions than answers. Reality is we don't know all what happened on that day. All we know is what the writer John tells us. It's a, we wonder maybe, why did Jesus choose this man? Clearly there was other people there that needed healing. Did, he, did Jesus heal anybody else? Well, the scripture doesn't tell us. But we do know that this man was healed. And we know that Jesus walked through a sea of people to get to this man. This man in particular, Jesus chose and healed him that day. This story scribed in scriptures gives us faith that Jesus cares. How many know that Jesus cares? Amen? While all miracles are from the for the glory of God, the mir this miracle appears to be giving strength and hope to man who had lost both. You see, Jesus cared for this man, and he cares for us. Perhaps you're an individual who's been battling addiction, and maybe you think it might even threaten your future. An addiction can. But Jesus cares enough to set us free. Maybe it's not addiction. Maybe you're bound to some sin and you just can't seem to let loose. Jesus can set you free. Amen? And there's no sin too big. Amen? There's no, there's no addiction too strong. Amen? Maybe it's a sickness you're dealing with. Maybe it's sapped your health. Maybe you feel like there's no hope in the future because your health is declining. Maybe it's, it's getting worse. Jesus cares enough to even sit there with you when the doctor gives you his diagnosis. And Jesus is either going to heal you or he's going to give you the grace to make it through. Whatever it is you're going through. But Jesus cares about every single one of us, and he's there right by your side no matter what you're going through. Amen?
Amen. The disciples saw firsthand the difference compassion makes for someone who desperately needs it. We can see it too. Every time God works a miracle for us, he is showing us how much he cares for us. I think sometimes we, we don't even acknowledge the miracles that go on in our life. How many can say that there's been a time in our life where we thought that was it? We were going we to die. Maybe there was a, we missed a car accident. Maybe there was something that happened that we were just like, and that could have been the end right there. But Jesus worked a miracle in that moment, and yet sometimes we even forget those moments, the times that Jesus worked a miracle in our lives. Man, maybe he healed our body when we were deathly sick. You know, uh, we just got out of a pandemic just, to, just recently, and of course we're dealing with a little bit of rash of it some more, but, but the reality is a lot of us got pretty sick during that time. But the Lord brought us through, and I'm thankful for his miracles. I'm thankful that he cares about what we're going through. Amen? He is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He feels what we feel. Amen? Jesus even cares when we cry because the Bible says he'll wipe away all our tears. He wanted to recognize the fact that we do cry, that there are things that bring us sadness, but he's going to wipe all of that away. Amen? I'm thankful that Jesus cares. I'm glad that Jesus showed up at the pool of Bethesda for this impotent man, and he cares enough to show up in your situation. On this day, this occasion where this man was healed, the people were happy. Jesus was happy. The man who was healed was incredibly happy. The disciples were happy. In fact, they were a bit awestruck. Believe it or not, this was only the third miracle Jesus had performed in the Bible. Of all the recorded miracles, this was the third one. There was the wedding in, uh, that Jesus turned the water into wine. There was a nobleman that approached him about his son who was uh, dying, and Jesus said he's healed. But this was the very first time his disciples had seen him with their own eyes heal a man. So heal. This wasn't like they'd been around seeing this. Oh, yeah, that's, Jesus just healed another person. It was like, whoa, wait a minute. That man was there for 38 years, and now he's up and walking? Wow. I mean, I'm sure none of the disciples had ever seen that in their whole life. And here they were with Jesus, and this is the first time they'd actually seen it with their own eyes happen. Unfortunately, all these people were happy about what had happened, but there wasn't everyone in Jerusalem that was happy. In fact, the religious upper crust wanted to kill Jesus over this very thing. Why? Because he worked. He dare work on the Sabbath day. Nevertheless, Jesus worked this wonder even when it was on the Sabbath day. In fact, his miracle didn't all of a sudden make these religious people all of a sudden want to worship him. But no, they wanted to come after him. Because they, they were so concerned about the law, they didn't even care that this man was healed. I mean, who thinks that way? It's like this man is healed and you're worried about the fact 
that Jesus did it on the Sabbath day. Really? Um, it's kind of funny because it's almost as if they were saying to Jesus, didn't you know it's against the law to carry your bed on the Sabbath day and you told this man to carry his bed? I would venture to say that this man had never carried his bed. Couldn't walk. Now all of a sudden he walked and Jesus says, take up your bed and walk. And he's like, I can actually do that. I think I'm going to take my bed with me. I'm going to walk. Yeah, I can do that. Do you think he cared that it was the Sabbath day? No, he was just excited the fact that he could actually do it. Here he was carrying his bed and Jesus gave him the words and he's like... I can walk, so you absolutely, you tell me to carry my bed, I will. Amen. And so this man did exactly what Jesus told him to do, but the religious, self-righteous Pharisees of that day just looked at the violations. They were just waiting to find some violation that it was committed. On the Sabbath day, that's probably how they spent their time, looking for somebody who had broke the law, who had just didn't quite follow the letter of the law, and they were coming after him. And of course, they were coming after Jesus. And they felt that they both needed to be judged according to the Jews' law. They were, they were, they actually cornered this man. They wanted to know, who is it that did this? We want to know who did this on the Sabbath day. How terrible of a thing they did that they actually healed you on the Sabbath day. And so they, they cornered this man, and they said to him, it is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry your bed. What is wrong with you? This is the Sabbath day. You put that bed down. You don't do that on the Sabbath day. They were so concerned about that. They didn't care the fact that the man is now walking who hadn't walked for nearly four decades. The man said to them, he that made me whole, the same said unto me, take up thy bed and walk. Amen. If Jesus tells you to do something, amen. doesn't matter if man says you shouldn't do it. If Jesus says to do it, amen. You follow just like this man did, and he took up his bed and walked. Um, the man did not know the law like these religious Pharisees did, but he knew that Jesus told him to take up his bed and walk. But you know, the leaders, they, they weren't good with that, just knowing that Jesus had told them that, but they wanted to know who this was. Who was it that told you? Why did he tell you to do that? And how dare he do that on the Sabbath day? Who would do such a thing on the Sabbath day? All this man knew is he was healed, and that there was no way he was, he didn't know who it was, because after Jesus healed him, he left. So he didn't know, he just knew that this man told him, Rise, rise, take up thy bed and walk. And now all of a sudden this man was healed. You see, later on, Jesus ran into him at the temple and Jesus struck up another conversation. So Jesus didn't just heal this man. He told this man to cease from sinning. So Jesus was giving him spiritual direction too. It wasn't just the healing that Jesus was doing, but he was giving him direction as well. The man who had formerly could not walk, walked out of the temple and gave the Jewish leaders a description and possibly the name of the one who had healed him. These religious leaders were fuming. This Jesus of Nazareth has caused enough trouble already. He, uh, 
he was reported to work miracles, but this time he crossed the line by working on the Sabbath day. How dare he? And they felt that he needed to pay with his life for how dare he break the law. The law was far more important than the healing of an individual, at least in their mind. The Jewish leaders turned their sights on Jesus, wondering what he would say for himself. They were pleased with themselves, thinking Jesus would deny their charges and they could catch him in a lie. But they didn't know who Jesus was. I, I, I actually kind of get a, a, a little bit of a, a chuckle out of reading the stories of those that try to challenge Jesus and trip him up and try to say things to him that would confuse him or, or get him to, to admit something he, he, he shouldn't or say something he shouldn't or get out of line in any way. And every single time he silences them. He says it and then just dumbfounded because they don't know what to say. Because every time it's God Almighty, you're not talking to a man. He's far wiser than any man ever that walked this earth. And so when you try to trip him up, when you try to confuse him, it's going to come back at you for sure. They thought maybe Jesus would beg them for mercy and that they would show the city who really was in charge around there. But Jesus answered, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Something in the tone of Jesus' speech, maybe it was in his body language, that they knew when he talked about the Father that he wasn't talking about his earthly father, but that he was talking about God Almighty. If Jesus was already skating on thin ice with these men, then he, it, in essence, he just took the skate, sharpened it up, and purposely pierced the ice because he didn't care if they got more upset by what he said he was going to speak truth. And how does a murderous, bloodthirsty crowd become more murderous and bloodthirsty? How is that even possible? Well, they did. In fact, in John chapter 5, verse 18, it says, Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him. After he associated himself with God, making himself equal with God, they wanted even more so for this man to die. Because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal to God. They thought Jesus was just a man trying to be God. But they got it all wrong. He was, he was a man who was God in flesh. They didn't understand that, and they missed it completely. Here the Messiah was walking in their midst and they were completely blind to see who he really was. We can't make the same mistake that the Jews made of that day that missed the fact that the Messiah was standing right there in front of them. We can't mistake what a lot of people think of Jesus today. Some think he was a good prophet. Some religions teach that he was a great prophet. Others believe he was a wonder worker or a great teacher, or had some good things to say. But he was so much more than that. Amen. He was a great teacher. He was a prophet. Amen. He was a wonder worker. He's still a wonder worker. He's still God Almighty, and he was God Almighty then in the flesh. He is
today, still God Almighty, more than a teacher, more than a prophet, amen? No matter what the religions of the world may paint him as, as a good person, uh, he was far more than that, amen? This miracle is recorded along with all other miracles that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing we might have life through his name. Amen? Amen. We're going to skip our video tonight, brother. Okay? Thank you. Um, through this conversation with these religious people, Jesus was not finished. In fact, in John chapter 5, he testified for 29 more verses as his accusers became angrier and more upset with him. Since this ad hoc trial came to order, Jesus produced witnesses of his own. He testified to his own identity and authority. His witness was John the Baptist. None of these accusers thought highly of John the Baptist. Why? Because John the Baptist called them to repent and for them to turn around just like all the other sinners. Certainly, they didn't think they were sinners. They were the righteous uh, leaders of, of the city, and they could, they, could, they could be more godly than anyone, at least in their minds. But Jesus used John the Baptist as his witness. And John the Baptist was the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. The accusers needed a stronger witness than John, so Jesus called his father to testify. He could have called no higher, holier witness to the stand. God himself had commissioned the man Christ, Jesus, to the work. The work that he was doing, Jesus was doing what he was doing when he was doing it, even on the Sabbath day. As a testimony of his divine identity, Jesus did not come with a hand-scrawled list of to-dos when he came to this earth. No, Jesus was doing the Father's work. Amen? Jesus knew exactly why he was here and what he needed to accomplish in the time that he was here. But the accusers did not recognize his work because Jesus pointed out that they never heard the Father's voice. How is it that the religious, the religious leaders of that day had never heard the Father's voice, yet they, they claimed that they spoke for God? We see a lot of people today in our society that will seem to claim that they speak for God, and yet, like these Pharisees, they... They don't ever hear the voice of God. They make like they do, but they don't. In, the case of the in case the Father was too lofty for them to believe, Jesus called on at least one more witness, Moses. You see, the Jews of that day revered Moses. They believed that by upholding the law of Moses, it gave them you know, a kind of a standard of righteousness. But Jesus let them know that Moses had written about him. In fact, in scriptures, many, in fact, many, many Jews today, uh, religious Jews, really 
kind of adhere to just five books. The Torah is what they call it, right? That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's it. For them, that's the Bible, right? They don't, they don't get into the minor prophets, the major prophets. They don't, they don't read the Psalms and Proverbs. They, they literally just, just those five books. But guess what? If you want to know about the prophecies of the Messiah, you don't have to go any further than those five books. In fact, there are prophecies about Jesus as the Messiah coming in Genesis 3, Genesis 49, Exodus 12, Numbers 21, Numbers 24, and Deuteronomy 18. All prophesy of the Messiah. So even of that day, even if they did not even look at any other writings, just the Mosaic law, there it was in the law that they believed that they were obeying. The wonders Jesus worked coupled with the testimonies of his star witnesses should have been enough for the Jews to bow down, bow down and worship Jesus, but yet they refused. They thought that they loved and revered Moses, but Jesus charged them that they disobeyed and ignored Moses. If they truly listened to Moses, they would truly listen to Jesus. But they did not believe Moses' words, so they would not believe Jesus' words. We shake our heads at, these hard, at their hard-headedness, but we are not called to right their wrongs. We are called to believe the word of God for ourselves. Amen? Jesus commanded us the same as he commanded them. In John chapter 5, verse 39, it says, Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. And they, the scriptures, are they which testify of me. Amen. I'm thankful that the scriptures testify of Jesus. From the beautiful beginning of Genesis 1 all the way to the beautiful ending in Revelation 22, the scriptures testify of Jesus coming as the Messiah, that Jesus has come, and that Jesus will come again. How many believe he's coming again? Amen. I'm looking forward to that day. Amen. When Jesus comes again. On that day, after 38 years of waiting for a miracle at the pool, Jesus healed the lame beggar. But what happened on the next day? It must have been a sight for people coming to the marketplace to walk by the pool at Bethesda and not see him laying there. Maybe some wondered, did he die? I mean, it could have very well be possible, right? Did somebody take him back to his home and didn't, or took him away? Where did he go? What happened to this man? You see, he had become a fixture. After being there for 38 years, I'm sure everyone knew who he was. And maybe that's why Jesus chose him because of the impact it would have on all those around. He might have been the, the one that had been there the longest. Just inside, in, 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 in light of the fact that the life expectancy of that day was 35 years, and that man had been there even longer, certainly he, he was probably one of the longest standing individuals there. But his absence was evident. Everyone noticed that he wasn't there. 
You see, Jesus had healed this man. He was no longer lame, and he was no longer a beggar. He was completely healed. You see, the evidence and witnesses were piling up for Jesus' deity. No one else could do what Jesus could do. No one had ever done what Jesus had done. Although the Jews were upset Jesus had worked on the Sabbath, none of them could deny that man who was unable to walk was walking. Amen. I love it when God works a miracle like that. And even the doctors shake their heads and go, I don't know how. I don't know how. I see the x-ray here. I see the x-ray now. I don't know what happened. I don't know how to explain that. But God, right? <laughs> Amen. Amen. Neither could they prove that even one scripture or one scroll contradicted who Jesus would be or what he would do. But these Jewish leaders were unwilling to believe, partly because they knew it would mean that they would lose their power and influence to Jesus. You see, their self-righteousness and the power that they uh, held in their, in their office as the religious leaders there in Jerusalem, even if for a moment they thought that Jesus might be the Messiah, they were not willing to give up their power so that they could have what Jesus had because that meant that they're relinquishing their power to him. But the bottom line is, even in our own lives, if we want to live for Jesus, that means we, we relinquish our power to him. Amen. If we really want to live for Jesus, it's not about maintaining whatever prestige or life we have, but it's about surrendering to the will of the Lord. Amen. But they were not ready to give up. Further, they would have to repent and follow Jesus. And they didn't want to do that for sure because they would, they would look bad to all of their other religious leaders. They weren't ready to take those steps. But the question is, what about you? What further evidence do you need that Jesus is God? I mean, we see it in our church. Pastor gets up here and shares many of the miracles that are happening in our church and amongst our people, in our family, in our friends, and our co-workers, that God is performing miracle after miracle after miracle. Amen. We serve a, a miracle-working God. Amen. We have the Word of God. We have the testimony of God Himself and the wonders that Jesus has worked and has worked here in this church, which they're, they're the kind of things that no man can do. No man can just speak things into existence. No man can make a, tan a cancerous tumor just disappear, but Jesus can. Amen? We have the grandeur and the glory of all creation, which declares the glory of God. Take it all in. Search the scriptures. Comb through the evidence. Take a look, long look at your own life, and you will see that the Jews should have seen Jesus is Almighty God. Amen. How many believe He's the Almighty God? Amen. Amen. Would you stand? I'm thankful I know who Jesus is. Amen. And if the world knew who Jesus was, they'd, they'd be at church tonight too. Amen. If they really knew who Jesus was. I was talking with a co-worker recently who 
commented to me they they used to teach Sunday school and you know they believe that they believe some of the Bible they believe that it's well it's written by men so you know it's not all that accurate but you know believe in God and you know all that I'm like well that's great that's why you're not at church that's why you're not serving God because you really don't know who God is because if you did it would change your behavior overnight amen I'm thankful I know who Jesus is. I'm thankful for his word. I'm thankful, amen, that he's still working miracles. Amen. He hasn't stopped. He didn't stop back then at the pool of Bethesda. He's still working miracles right here in our church, amen, and in our community. And, and it's important for us to not only share what God is doing, amen, but share who Jesus is with others, amen, because if they know him like you know him, and they'll be right here in the, in, in the seats with you. Amen. Worshiping the Lord. Why don't we go before the Lord in prayer and dismissal, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your word, Lord Jesus. We thank you for the overwhelming evidence, Lord Jesus, that you are God Almighty. We thank you, Jesus, that you're still a wonder-working God, still working miracles in our church and in your people, Lord Jesus. Continue the work in each and every one of us, Lord. And may we tell the world around us, Lord Jesus, who you are. Have your perfect will in each of us throughout the remainder of this week. Bring us here safely on Sunday, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.